Hi, and welcome back to The Voice of the Child. I'm Natasha, and the topic for our podcast today is whether or not it's actually legal for councils and adoption and fostering agencies to advertise children online in order to find them foster homes and adoptive parents. Researching Reform, which is the project accompanying the Voice of the Child podcasts, has been researching this question for some time now, and it's worth mentioning that we reached out to several lawyers who are considered to be leading experts in this area, and not one of those lawyers was able to confirm whether or not this policy was in fact legal. That in itself speaks volumes about the lack of clarity inside the child protection sector. But one person who was able to offer some answers is my guest for today's show, Simon Hayworth, a lecturer in social work at the University of Birmingham. Simon, for people who aren't aware of how the process works and how children come to be advertised online for fostering placements and adoptions, can you give a little background to that? Uh, yes, of course. Um, so first off, there would have to be uh, significant concerns about that child at home. Then likely, um, and a usual process, that the child and family would go through a child protection process likely leading to care proceedings um, and then something such as um, a care order being granted meaning that the child uh, was to be looked after by the local authority or a care and placement order being granted meaning that adoption would be the um, likely route for that child. Now in terms of the process itself around advertising children online this seems to be quite a grey area. Um, I've reached out to several uh, experts on this topic and nobody could give me a clear answer or any confirmation that this practice was actually legal. So could you explain the law and process around children being advertised online, including things like parental responsibility, which we can explain as well a little, um, and, and when birth parents should be consulted, if at all? Great question. Um, I think probably you haven't had a simple answer because I don't know if there is a simple answer. Um, I think it's really important that that parents throughout these processes um, retain parental responsibility. Um, So if it's a case of of long-term fostering under a care order, the parents retain parental responsibility throughout. If it's a case of adoption, then the parents retain parental responsibility until an adoption order is granted. So all of that advertising is going to happen I would imagine when parents retain and often share parental responsibility with the local authority. Under um, the Children Act 1989, you know, they've got to be clear grounds, as you would know, um, to restrict that um, exercising of parental responsibility. I think we're talking about quite a significant decision here. It's not about, you know, does the child go out to local shop or not? It's a significant decision for that family. my position is um, that at the very least, Natasha, parents should be consulted um, and their views should be given significant weight. I think we'll come on to other questions, but also the, light, the views of the child, and particularly if they're a young person, um, in, in line with their, their, their development and competence, that their views should be sought and respected. I certainly wouldn't myself want to be advertised online for anything without my agreement being given. So in relation to parents, first of all, this is a a massive step, isn't it? Because it is a significant decision. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Um, We already know that advertising online or just being present online and publicly accessible in in itself produces a series of concerns, particularly in relation to children. But in relation to parents and parental responsibility, uh, and parental responsibility is what allows parents to retain the... um, 
certain amounts of rights over their children. It allows them the ability to make decisions based upon their children's needs as well. This becomes a very serious issue because, as you say, advertising children online isn't something that anybody would consider to be a superficial concern. So what do you think these adverts um, could potentially do in terms of affecting children and birth parents, both now and in the future? Um. Well, I think um, I think you, you're into a bigger area here, aren't you? Because social media, I think, is massive for the whole, um, you know, for want of better word, child protection, childcare law area. You know, that I don't think we've caught up with how powerful social media is. Um, privacy is going to be massive. Um, I'm mindful of Article Eight of the Human Rights Act and a right to private, private and family life. Um, I think. I think we're talking about that parents have been taken through a deeply shaming process already. And actually children and young people have been taken through a deeply traumatic process already. I think we need to be extremely careful um, as to whether any advertising processes um, serve to, to heighten those feelings of social shame for parents. Online also leads to offline, doesn't it? So online, as we know, in a variety of areas, leads to offline consequences. Um, and let's be honest, having your child removed is shameful. And most of society will view that you've done something wrong. So in your local community, if these adverts, you know, if the news of these adverts seeps into the local community, that could lead to, 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 to deep embarrassment and social shame for parents. Um, I think likewise children and young people themselves you know they're at school let's be honest children and young people are the most savvy and, and highest users as i understand of social media imagine being a young person going to school um and the local school bully picks out this is somebody who's very different i think the potential ramifications are are massive the the other thing that i think is deeply concerning is that Right up until this point, the advertising point, there's an enormous amount of care that's gone into legislation and policy to ensure children retain their privacy throughout this process. And this is done with a view to protecting them, to protecting them from potential risk, to protecting them from, as you say, stigmatization or any form of trauma. But all of that suddenly disappears. All of those concerns suddenly disappear when it's time for these children to be advertised for placements. The question really has to be, is there ever any justification for for that cloak of privacy around those children to be removed? Yeah, I mean, I think when you put it like that, it's quite stark, isn't it? You know, and I think the fact that, you know, logically, we've gone through a process through the courts where, you know, even court hearings can't be heard, etc. There's a real deep and quite rightly focus on privacy. I think when you put it like that, Natasha, and then suddenly we chuck that privacy out the window, um, I would argue, you know, I think anybody would find it hard to, to give you a clear and logical justification for doing that. I do think there is, you know, I do think we have to be practical and say we have to find placements for children and young people. But I think the question has to be asked, is this the right way to do it? The, the other thing that I think is deeply concerning about this whole process is, as you say, the impact of this exposure online. So I was contacted by several parents a little while back who were deeply upset at having discovered an adoption and fostering agency on Facebook who were advertising their children, their biological children online, with photos of these children, with their real names and 
a substantial amount of detail about these children. And it was causing these par parents, the birth parents, an enormous amount of distress. I was also getting um, communications from friends of birth parents who had spotted the photos um, on this particular agency's websites on Facebook or account on Facebook and were concerned not to tell the birth parents because they were very worried about how the birth parents might react. And at the time, birth parents who did find the page had left a series of scathing comments um, about the, the advertising. And it was it was intense. There was a lot of very angry comments being placed underneath these pictures. Now, all credit due to this particular agency, it was Suffolk Fostering and Adoption Agency. At the time, when the backlash took place, they then changed their policy and they removed the images of children online and they started to advertise in a very different way. So I think we have to ask if there is a need to improve this process and if there is, how could agencies offer those services differently? Um, great question. I, I think just come back to your last point um, before I try and answer that one, that um, I think it's important for everybody to remember how painful and traumatic this process is for birth families and that actually, therefore, the knock-on effect of what you've just said is huge. I've worked with birth families where that anger, that shame could then lead to no further contact between them and their children and you could argue that some adver the advertising may have played a role in that. Definitely, there appear to be grounds for change. You know, I, I think privacy has got to be everybody's first consideration. You know, in my practice, and now I'm an academic, I'm also a father, I always try and reflect on how I would feel if that were done to my son and were done to me. And I think that's perhaps a re reasonable starting point. I think, you know, if we're talking about privacy, then it's about, you know, do to ensure that adverts don't ident identify children and young people out to the public rather that they act as some kind of gateway for those interested who could then contact the agency themselves. At that point, further discussion can be held. But, you know, back to your original point, I would, I would argue, can anybody justify that's not a reasonable way forward? To me, that seems, if people are really interested in that child and young person, if they're interested in fostering or adoption, surely they're going to take the steps of contacting the agencies themselves, and they don't need this much information out in the public domain. I need to say that I think there are agencies that probably follow those tighter rules and regulations or their own rules and regulations, and that could be a good starting point for, for, for good practice to be developed. As I say, I think privacy, number one consideration, and I think number two consideration, if people are serious about fostering and adoption, which I know many are, clearly they're going to take the steps necessary to contact agencies themselves. In terms of advertising online generally and bearing in mind the various different um, degrees of that advertising that can take place, should we be at all concerned about things like child exploitation? Yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting question. I think we always have to be concerned about our children's details being placed on such public platforms. I can't ask, answer to you whether it will lead directly to child exploitation or not. That I don't know. 
what I do know is, as a parent, I try and tell my son to not allow his details to be shared with anybody apart from his closest friends. I think if we're talking about some of the most vulnerable children and young people in society, which let's be honest, we are, otherwise they wouldn't be placed for fostering and adoption in the first place, we should be extra mindful of their need for safety online and the, and, and the potential for people with less um, positive motives to, to come out of the woodwork and, and use these adverts for something less good. So taking us um, on a side tangent, just ever so slightly, one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at um, Suffolk's um, Facebook page was that the details given of the children were often incredibly flowery, very positive, very upbeat. There was no hint whatsoever of the child's background, which may or may not be um, understandable, but but nothing was insinuated or added into any of the content on the agency's Facebook page, which made it clear that a lot of these children would have come from backgrounds and experiences which would have made them potentially vulnerable and probably um, more sophisticated in terms of their needs. And we're seeing at the moment in the press, a lot of stories are coming out now about parents who have adopted children or fostered children and have actually given them back. Um, and, and they've said they've done so because they were not aware of the level of sophistication that would be required in that parenting, that the agencies were not upfront with them about um, what those children needed. And those have to also be part and parcel of this entire process, which includes advertising children online, as we see. So my question really is, is this entire process in need of reform? Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, I've worked with a number of good foster carers who um, stuck with children and young people but were very disappointed, even in-house foster carers, so those working for a local authority, that the full extent of the child or young people's needs um, wasn't put across. We've got to be honest in this process. If I can just sort of drop an anecdote, a personal one, the saddest piece of social work I ever had to get involved with was removing a young person who had been adopted who then was further abused within that adoptive home. Part of that, those adoptive parents argued, was because they simply didn't understand the extent of his needs and it led to him being further neglected. Um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not justifying them or their actions. I am saying I do think there has to be transparency and honesty for these children and young people and their futures right from the start. Unfortunately, at the moment, and I think it's understandable, it's very much, it seems a kind of seller's market, isn't it? That there seems to be a, a view that unless you put a positive view across of this child or young person, they won't get placed. I can understand that logic, but I think that logic potentially leads to some very negative longer term outcomes. And I think that's something that we see particularly when we think about how children have been bouncing around the care system. So we, we know that that's happening uh, at, a, at an unacceptable level. The Children's Commissioner has already produced data on that. Um, and it's really been quite significant in terms of the sheer number of placements that some of these children experience, which, of course, is not terribly good for their development um, and has an adverse effect, in fact, on their development. And we also know that as children get bounced around the care system, they do find themselves in different placements. And as you said, they could be at risk in some of those placements. And that as a result, this entire process doesn't really seem to be working in the interests of children. And you do mention that there is a level of transparency that's required and that actually there's a level of openness and honesty, which is also required. And that also feeds into the way in which councils and agencies work with uh, birth parents. So if I can take us for a moment to a recent um, decision from the local government ombudsman or the local government and social care ombudsman, as it's called now. Um, this has come from a particular decision, which I'll 
post um, online with our podcast. And in this decision, um, the ombudsman said parents keep their parental responsibility even when a child is accommodated under a care order. They have a right to be told and consulted about all decisions, usually as part of a looked after child review. In reality, Simon, how often does that happen? Well, that's a very difficult question. I think um, I think how often it happens depends on the individual local authority, the individual practitioner. I think if you spoke to both par- birth parents, sorry, and I'm involved with um, a project with a number of birth parents at the moment, they, they, they would quite often come back to you and say they don't feel involved as much as they should do. I think I just come to the point that actually kind of even, you know, our systems about children and young people, but for the child themselves, it's so important that those people they view as significant, which includes their birth parents, are part of a system that's working together for their needs. And I think if we're not including birth parents enough in these decision making, in these in these decision making processes, that's not just oppressive to the birth parent, it actually can be quite oppressive to that child and young person. And just coming back to your point around multiple placements, you know, I think unless there are systems working around children that do work together, that consult each other, you're more likely to have multiple placements. And let's not forget that particularly for younger children, who are they going to blame for that placement breakdown? They're going to blame themselves. And again, that's some of the saddest practice I was involved with, with children who just closed off because by the time they reached their fourth placement, they think, well, I am so horrific and dislikable that why would anybody care for me? And I think then we're talking about lifelong impacts for those children. Mm -hmm.